Before we get to the podcast, I have a gift for you. I love bringing hope to you each week through this podcast. Hope is such a beautiful gift and one that I definitely like to share. For the times in my life when I needed hope, I open my Bible and allow God's Word to speak to me. As a gift of hope to you, I've created a prayer journal, Seven Days to Refuel Your Hope. This journal shares my journey through some of the most hopeless times in my life and the biblical verses that brought me back to hopefulness. My prayer for you is that this journal will help you to refuel, refresh, and realign your hope. You can download this free journal by visiting my website, dianebells.com, or clicking on the link in the show notes. you ever felt hopeless, like nothing good could ever happen again? Well, I have. And that's why I created the Hope Station. Each week, you will hear amazing stories of hope from people just like you. People who have transformed disastrous, disappointing, and depressing events in their lives into messages of hope. Turning tragedy to triumph, pain to purpose, crisis to new careers all through the power of hope. So sit back, relax, and pull into the Hope Station, the place where you can refuel, refresh, and realign your hopes and dreams. Today, our guest is Paul Ibarra. He likes to call himself Coach Paul, so we'll go with that. So thank you for joining me today, Paul, and we're just going to talk about your story where a time that you felt hopeless, and if you just want to share with us your your journey and how you got to the other side. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Diane, for uh, bringing me on your podcast, uh, first and foremost. And uh, yeah, um, my hopeless season, it was a long season of my life. Um, just raised in the east side of San Jose, California, um, just in a broken home, had a stepfather, had my mom. Um, but even in that family unit, there was a lot of a, a whole lot of brokenness, um, okay. a lot of uh, major you know, molestation happening to my sister, a lot of abuse to my mom, a lot of abuse to me. Wow. Yeah. Just, you know, just a series of things that led down this life of abandonment, rejection, isolation, um, unworthy. And so that hopelessness was really, truly not understanding or identifying what my identity was. And so in that, because I never knew my real father and the father that I, that I had was not a good role model, um, took me down, down this spiral of events of just trying to understand who I was, because I was always told that you'll never make it. You're never going to be nothing. Um, just this whole slew of things that was an extra weight that was on my life. And so I believe that a lot of those, you know, through that came Mm -hmm. the drugs and alcohol and the, the crazy lifestyles, the gang banging, all of that. And those were symptoms of really not understanding who I was. And it, and it all comes down, Diane, to really trying to find acceptance, validation and approval from those that, I thought loved me. Right. 
But then at, at the end of the day, it was the drugs led to manipulation, manipulating my life, manipulating people. Um, but it all comes back down to that rejection factor. And so that was one of the, the toughest times of my life until I was about, you know, once we sent him to prison, I was 12 years old, but after 12 till about the age of 28, um, it was just a downward spiral of mess of headache, heartache, um, chaos, um, just a, just a very dark place and just learned how to maneuver through that. So that was my hopeless season. That that's a a long season and it happened before you were 12. So you went through until you were 28. Why do you feel that rejection can cause such, such hopelessness from your experience? From my experience, and, th- and that's what I teach from is from my experiences of being rejected was, you know, the moment from the womb, it's like in that time, bless my mom's heart, but we were living in Washington state. And so she literally left me with, with a family while she went down to California to look for work and try to figure things out. Okay. And so from there, there's no, there's no mother contact. There's no nothing there. So from the beginning, it was this thing of just this rejectedness, which I didn't realize until I was older. And then okay. through that, you know, joking around, I was labeled as the mistake of the family. Um, well, we, we weren't, you know, we didn't plan on having him. So he's a mistake. And so when you keep hearing that, it's like, well, then what am I doing here? <laughs> if I'm already a right. mistake, then I'm rejected. Now it's just regular, like talk in conversation with adults. You know, he wasn't planned. He was a mistake, but a child growing up hearing that is like, well, if I'm a mistake, then where's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And so for me, that's where my rejected state came from. And that's what caused me to start looking and finding areas of my life for approval. Well, even when we can say the words, almost like we're kidding or you're the oops baby or or something else. And as a young child, our brain can't comprehend things. It just, it, it hears something, it believes it's true. And then it just keeps on regenerating those truths forever. So because you felt like a mistake, did you, this sounds like a silly question. Did you feel like I just make mistakes all the time? I'm a mistake. I make mistakes. Was that part of your persona then or part of your identity? I think it was a combination of both. So because it was, I was labeled as a mistake, I was always proving that I wasn't. So it, it was the, the, the flip side of it, which is a positive thing of, of trying to be better than where I was. Okay. But the symptoms behind it and the reason behind it was where the disconnect was. Because I was trying to prove to somebody Mm. that didn't really, didn't really care. So it was constant trying to gain that approval and also just knowing, you know what, I'm, I'm just not good at anything, you know, sports, this, that. And so, yeah, so growing into that and understanding that when I would go from school to school, I mean, I I went to seven different schools as, uh, as a minor. So my identity, it was easier for me mm-hmm. to go to a new school because now I can be whoever I wanted to be. 
So again, it was covering that whole rejected factor and still mm-hmm. proving to the new people, oh, well, you're from California. When I moved back to Washington, oh my God, this guy's from California. It took my <laughs> whole status level to a whole new place, but inside I was still rejected because I still didn't fit again, even though I was the cool kid from California, I didn't fit in these groups. And so constant, (laughs) constant steamroll of being rejected and trying to prove something to other people instead of myself. Do you think that that's where the drugs and alcohol and the gangs come into? Did you feel like you were trying to avoid the pain through the drugs and alcohol and then be accepted through joining a gang? I think for me, the, the drugs, the smoke and the weed, I smoked weed from the age of 12 to 30 years old, 32, 33. I think when I started smoking weed, it wasn't even so much like I need to escape. It was Mm -hmm. something that was introduced to me. I smoked, I was in this different place but I didn't realize it till years later that that was my, my, my escape because right. I was in this just mellow. I was happy. Everything was cool. Made everybody laugh, all these things. But then when that was stripped away, then it was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't cool. And as far as like the whole gang life and just, you know, just, just the streets, really. It wasn't really so much gang banging. It was more the streets, but I still hung with everyone who was part of that lifestyle. But I never really had to get like jumped into a gang, any of that, because I was I was very well known. My reputation always followed me. And so everyone always knew me. They knew me. Uh, he's cool. He's quiet. He's he's solid in what he does. He's all right. And so but just being around that environment caused me to start going into that lifestyle of the okay. you know, dealing dope and all of that craziness until uh, I got to the place where I got better. <laughs> so how did they know, what were the signs that you were exhibiting that they knew that you were an okay guy that you were, what did they see as you being solid? Well, first and foremost, my older brother was in the streets and his best friend was like my older brother. So I was always in their arena and in their okay. circle. And so back in the early eighties, mid eighties, you know, in, in that time, times were a lot different. So everyone knew everyone, you know what I'm saying? The cities weren't as big production wasn't as big. So everyone okay. knew me as, you know, so-and-so's younger brother. And so through that, then the reputation went, cause I was always quiet because I felt rejected and I didn't fit in. I was always quiet, that discerner, always watching, learning, and just that kind of like, I guess you could say like that undercover guy that know that I didn't cause trouble. Right. So I always did dirt in a way that I never got caught. You know what I'm saying? So it, it okay. was it was one of those things where I was protected by the bigger guys. So okay. I so I gained that respect. So they said, man, he's he's cool. Like. Don't worry about him. He's all right. So then my name spread through my circle of friends. And then that's when everything started getting established. Okay. So at 28, you were leaving that, or you say that those were your hopeless years. What happened to start shifting your life around? Yeah. So probably about the age of 20. 
for about 25 or 26, the methamphetamines, I had never touched them before, never touched them. I just sold them a lot of weight, just a whole different lifestyle until one night I, I started dabbling on a new year's Eve. And then it was like, and it didn't affect me. And then I did it again, a couple, about a week or two later, nothing hit. And after the third time, that was it. it, it was done. So I just, I got strung out like really bad, lost money, lost respect, lost cars, um, was in a place of total addiction and didn't even realize that I was. And so really started living on the streets, not just running in the streets. And uh, so it just led down this four or five year spiral of real heavy darkness because methamphetamines is one of the worst drugs that you can get on. And so I was smoking it. I never shot it up, but I snorted it, smoked it. Um, and it just strips your identity to the core. And so I was in this place where I knew that there was something better, that there had to be something better because why is it that I'm 28 years old and I'm still in the same neighborhood that I went to high school in and everyone that I went to high school with um, had houses, families, babies, they're producing. And it's like, how, how do we go to the same school? <laughs> There's got to be something different. And this is not who I am. And so that's where um, I literally left California, joined this sales crew that went, you know, state to state, city to city, um, selling that cleaner that they used to come to your door and they would sell a little spray cleaner with the towel and all that. I did that for a whole year and then, then ended up in Ohio, didn't know the place. And the reason I ended up there is because we were starting to head back to the West coast and I was clean and sober for a whole year on crew. And so I'm like, I just, I, I don't want to go back because mm -hmm. if I go back, I know what's going to happen. I know too many people. I'm going to get hooked back up and I'm good. So I literally landed in Ohio, stayed there. It was only supposed to be for like a year. Got productive, got a job, got my license, got a car, got a place, started making really good money doing telemarketing and just this, this awesome place. But I was still broken because I still hadn't found God. And so through that transition is where um, I was invited to a church. I went in, I just couldn't, I just didn't feel it. Wasn't the place that I needed to be. And about a year later, uh, within that time, um, there was some adultery that happened with this young woman at the job that I was at, and she was a Christian. I still hadn't been saved yet. I still hadn't even, you know, really gone to church. I went that one time and just wasn't my thing. And when she wanted to call it off, she was very young, married to a very older gentleman, like 30 years older than her, which that's a whole different story. But, um, you know, when she wanted to cut it off, I, I just... I said these words and it was so crazy. I said, well, this is God's will. Cause if not, then we would have never got together. And that from that day forward, my whole life went back to dark, like in a split second and everything just turned upside down, lost my job. Like it was literally like, <laughs> felt like God said, Oh, okay. Really? That's my, that's my will. Okay, cool. And so these things happened and that's what led me to the place of having to reach out. Um, I failed to mention that when I was being raised, I was raised a whole witness. So I didn't know a relationship with Christ. I didn't know Holy spirit. I didn't know that all I knew was law. 
And all I ever learned was <clears throat> you do bad, you're just going to be bad. So at that moment, I'm like, all right, wh whoever you are, Jehovah, whoever you are, if you could just make my life a little better, I promise to serve you the way that you see fit. That same morning, found a new job. The man was a Christian. Um, bless his heart. He rests in peace. But his family led me to the Lord. His daughter is still like my sister. Uh, we still stay in contact. Just they're like family, but went through this prog this process of five years in Akron, Ohio, and uh, my life changed. Okay. I want to go back a little bit because sure. you, you said that to be addicted and you said how, how hard of an addiction methamphetamines are. And for you just to look and say, why am I here? And there are my high school, you know, friends that they, they're, they're in a different place. Was that enough just to turn off the addiction? Like that was it. You just had a moment of like enlightenment, like, oh, you know, here's what it was through that journey, about six or seven years of, of hardcore methamphetamines. Right. There was one, there was a few times where it was close to death. Um, I'd look in the mirror and would literally see the devil in my face. Um, and it got to a place where everyone was progressing. And I, I literally just had a paper route at 28 years old. And to me, I'm like, that's something for like a 12 year old, like riding around your bike, throwing newspaper, but something inside of me knew this ain't, this ain't where I'm supposed to be. And so like I tell people, God saved me before I, I even walked into a church building. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm He's saying? Like, that way, right? <laughs> yeah. Like he saved me from that. And, and that's what I, I encourage people at times is like, listen, you know, the building is, is evident and it's imperative that we meet in a building. However, God can meet you wherever you're at and the drugs right. and the alcohol, honestly, were the, were the easy part because I wasn't happy doing the dope. Okay. I wasn't happy with myself okay. when I was high. I was like, I don't even like me. Why am I even doing this? And so the drugs and the alcohol, that's the easy part. The part that really? was like, yes, <laughs> for me, the hardest part was getting rid of my bitterness, my anger, okay. my rejection, mm -hmm. the abandonment, all of those things when I was free from the drugs. And I'm like, okay, now I've got to deal with me. Because okay. back in the day, um, and, and, and my whole mindset's different now, but back in the day, I just didn't believe in 12-step programs because okay. for me, it was like, if you want to change, you're going to change, period. Like, if you want to change, you're going to change. And that's where I was at. And so for that moment of, okay, I'm going to join this sales crew. I'm going to travel the country. Hey, here's my answer. It was literally like, I can't be on crew because I'm in a whole different city and state, I don't want to go looking for drugs. I don't want to, right. I don't even like drugs. Like I don't even like the high no more. So that for me was the easy part. Okay. And then when you, even when you're, you're saying, when you said that you thought you told this woman that this is God's will, you said you went into darkness. Why do you think that you went into darkness? Do you think because you yourself realized what you had said or what happened there? Just unpack that a little bit for me. I, I really believe this because God is sovereign. I truly believe this, that when you are, 
called and you're chosen without even knowing it and you start acting like you're God, right? I believe this, that God covers those that are called and those that are chosen. But the minute that we want that, that we're in that place where it's that crossroad, he removes the covering. We're still called and we're still chosen. He's going to watch us, but we have to go through that fire. I mean, at least that's, that's what worked. That that's what happened in my life. Cause in that moment, I'm okay. like everything, no lie, Diane. It was like the minute I did that the following day, everything fell apart. I lost one of my jobs. The furniture people were after me. I was growing weed in my apartment. All of a sudden cops just found out that I was growing weed. Like all of this stuff just happened in a 24 hour period. So for me, it was like, now that I think back, the God police showed up, (laughs) the God police showed up. And so when we look at the story of Job, right, Satan said, Hey, God said, what are you doing up here? I'm going to and fro to see who I can devour. He said, what about my servant, Paul? Yeah, but you've got this hedge of protection around him. I can't even touch him. Okay, great. I'm going to remove that hedge of protection, but you just can't kill him. You can take everything from him. And I promise you that he's going to stay faithful. I still believed in God. I knew there was a God out there. I knew that exactly when I said that, I'm like, ooh, (laughs) I should not have said that. You know what I'm saying? God, it's his will that you had an affair with someone who is married. Yeah, and all he says. Yeah. (laughs) Look at David, right? He did yes. it. Why can't you? <laughs> David exactly. could do it. Paul could do it. Yes. So what? So it turned around that you got a new job. You said the next day. Yes. The next matter of fact, day, I, matter of fact, I was in this place of darkness. I had to move out of my apartment because I got kicked out because I was growing weed. So all of that <laughs> happened. I ran. I was gone. It wasn't enough for them to give me time. And I'm telling you, that was God's grace on my life because they could have pushed the issue. They left it alone. I moved in with a friend of mine that I knew and that, uh, that mobile home was, was just infested with rats and just stuff. And I was in this place where I'm like, "Mm." so I I found one, one morning I was working for this welding company and I just prayed, you know, I don't know who you are. Um, but can I, can I get a better job? And in that, <laughs> that same day, that exact same day, it was a Saturday morning. I go to work. The guy that, that, that hired me in the, you know, a few days later was in this place and I'm working on his forklift and he's trying to tell me how to do like basically helping me try to do my job. And I was, I was very cocky back then, very arrogant. And I said, don't tell me how to do my job. And, but we, we just kept looking at each other for some reason. Now I know it's the Holy Spirit. And uh, so my supervisor at the, at the job said, hey, you know that Oliver's hiring. I said, who's Oliver? He's like the guy down the street that owns the big pool company. He's because John, my supervisor, knew I wasn't happy there no more. I needed more hours. I didn't need more money. I just needed more hours. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I went down there. We talked. And that it was that same day that I prayed. And that's when I knew, okay, there's a God. And so coming in about Simple two or three prayer, months. Though. Just say that prayer. It's so funny, this prayer. We think we have to be these eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> and you were almost dismissive. Hey, if you're up there. Yeah. I mean, I was seriously like, like. You had a sign, you know. <laughs> I literally, Diane said, Jehovah, God, whoever you are, 
All I ask is that you give me a better job and that I have better hours and I'll just, I'll serve you however you see fit. Why group were you willing to make that statement? That's a bold statement. So looking for a job and say, if you do this, then I'll do that. You, you made a contract with God at that point, you know, you know, because I'm that guy that challenges myself and I challenge people. Okay. When I used to go to job interviews, I would literally tell them like boldly, listen, try me out for a day. If you don't like the way that I work, don't even pay me. But if you do, then hire me. That was my interview every single job. And I always got my jobs because I always took that risk because I I, I always looked at life like I ain't got nothing to lose. Like, right. what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody tells you no or you fail. I've failed thousands of times and I keep getting back up. So with God, you know, honestly, as you're asking me that question, I think part of it was like the boldness, but the other part, I didn't really know what I was saying because I knew that at some point I had to, I had to get in alignment with this God that people talked about. Like I see their life and it's a little bit different. You know, my whole thing is I don't want to look like some Christians, to be honest. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, how, how do I, how do I be that guy? That's always nice and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> they, they, they look nice. That's not cool. Right. So Paul's yeah. cool. That's just, yeah. that's just not cool. You're the exactly. cool kid from California. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I think from there is, is where, and here's, here's, here's the craziest part. So I get the job. A few days later, I'm in my own mobile home that I rented. And the, the week later, guess who shows up at my doorstep? Jehovah Witnesses. So I'm thinking, whoa, this is it. Like, okay. But prior to that, no, wait, wait, hold on. Sorry. So I had looked online. And I looked for Jehovah witness thing. So I saw this thing and I said, okay, so they came to my house. But prior to that, the week within that time that they come to visit me, I had went to church at this Pentecostal church. And so what sold me on the Pentecostal church back then, I was kind of like, this is kind of weird. Like people talking in tongues and people start throwing snakes. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was in that place, (laughs) but something held me there, which was the Holy spirit. But the one thing that that sold me was I heard them use the name Jehovah. And I really believe that that was God saying, this is it. Like, I'm going to say that name because Jehovah Witnesses. I'm like, okay, they 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 use the name Jehovah. Okay, cool. Because we were taught any place that you hear Jehovah, they're true believers. So I heard Jehovah. I'm like, okay. Okay. So I go home and all of a sudden this Saturday morning, they come to my door and they're like, hey, we're from the blah, 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 Bible society. And I'm like, okay. And I'm, they were talking. I said, you know, I've already found a church and they were trying to kind of like argue like, well, I said, listen, I don't know what it was, but it was something different that I have never experienced when I was in a kingdom hall. So I appreciate you coming to my door and I appreciate all of that. I don't need your tracks. I don't need your Bible. I don't need any of that. I said, there's something there that I'm going to continue to keep going back to. And that's where the journey started. Okay. Yeah. So you, you you found Christ or Jehovah, you dedicated your life to him. And then what happened to change your life? 
Whew. So I was actually going to church for about a year. Okay. Never once did I hear a pastor or an elder ask me if I wanted to give my heart to God. Okay. So it was January 9th of 2005. I was on my couch. I was in a nice apartment overlooking the nice lake in Akron, Ohio. I had a brand new car, supervisor, making good money, had keys to the whole the whole intersection because they owned three quarters of the intersection. I was, I was it. I was that guy. But inside I was still defeated. My family didn't talk to me because I was going to church and it's just this mess. And I, I, I literally prayed and said, Lord, I believe that you're out there. I just don't understand this whole salvation thing, but I need to be shaken loose of all of these chains. And I'm going to be the first one at that altar. I don't even know what the altar means. I don't even know what it does, but I'm going to go driving to church. I was about two miles from the church, from my apartment. And the minute that I got there, um, one of the girls that was literally, um, she had cancer and she was pretty much on her deathbed. And now her and I are our best friends. You know, she knows my wife and all that kind of stuff. So there's nothing crazy going on, but um, I hadn't known her but I knew that she was battling cancer, but there was something about her that I know, you know, after a while, it was the anointing that was on her life and she's up there singing. And, and the same words that came out of my mouth in my prayer, shake me loose of my chains was the same lyrics of the song that she was singing. And so literally she was singing and I, I went to the altar and I didn't care who was around me. I just stayed there. There was no church service. It was just a worship service slain in the spirit, like all kinds of things going on. I'm looking around like, okay, these people are whacked out, but God just said, just keep, just give your life to me. Don't worry about what's going on around you. And I literally just, that was the day that my journey started. Now, when my life changed was that was January 9th of 2000, 2005 in 2007. So you're looking at two and a half years later, I backslid. That backsliding moment, I had moved from Ohio to Texas because my brother moved from California to Texas, went to Texas to check it out. And I always knew that I wasn't done on the inside. I always knew like, eh, there's still a little bit of party left in me. There's still a little bit of me in me. So I headed back to California. Everybody on the face of the planet would say, you're dumb. Don't go back to California. I did. And that was the worst year and a half of my life. Because when you're able to hear God's voice in one season, and then you don't hear him for a whole year and a half, that's what changed my life. The altar, great. The church, awesome. But it was church. It wasn't the truth inside of me. But when I went through my backsliding stage, that's where everything changed. Because that's when I said, I don't ever want to be here ever again. Because I learned in that season that not even the devil wants me because once you leave the kingdom of darkness and you try to go back and you're anointed, you're called and you're chosen. He don't even want you. The streets don't even want you. I was literally close to my birthday in 2009. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there smoking a joint with my friend, still going to church, playing church, Checkbox. Oh, I'm going to church today, blah, blah, blah. Still drinking, still doing all of that. And I'm sitting there and I'm smoking weed with one of my friends from California. And he looks at me and he said, Paul, what are you doing here? And I said, what are you talking about? This is my weed. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about, bro. He's like, you don't even fit. 
He's like, you don't even fit. He said, look around you, man. This, this ain't your hood no more. He's like, I love you. He said, but go back wherever you came from and go do what God's called you to do. And that totally wrecked me. Cause I'm like, what are you, what? <laughs> so I went back to where I was staying. Things got rough for about a week, like really bad, got really dark. And I was high one night and I literally felt the Lord walk into my room and speak and say, Paul, there's heaven and heaven or hell, which way are you going? And when I heard that, I said, here's my last chance. Because prior to that, there were people that I hadn't contacted. They didn't know I was there, but they contacted me, found my number through so-and-so and say, Hey, are you ready to get back to work? And I'm like, who's this? They're like, you know who it is. And I'm like, I'll call you back. I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. They went you dealing drugs with them again. Right. They're like, it's, 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 it's it's time to make money. And I'm like, you know what? Let me call you back. And so the same girl that was at, at the, that altar singing a few years prior to that, we had become very good friends. She was married, all of that. Well, she called me in that week and I didn't answer the phone because she's Holy ghost filled. Like she, she could just read my mail. I saw the phone. I was like, I ain't, I ain't answering this. And then I, I stopped. I said, man, I don't ever run from anybody. I called her back and I said, Hey, she said, how are you? And that's all she said. And it was the quietest 30 seconds of my life. I said, I'm good. She didn't even answer. And I said, you know what? I'm not good. I said, I'm not good. I'm just handling things the way that I know how to handle them. I said, uh, so just pray for me. She said, why don't you just come home? And I said, I don't have a home. I said, have, have you ever wanted to buy like a new house? She said, yeah. I said, would you take your old dirty furniture in that house? She said, probably not. I said, I'm that old dirty furniture. And I, I can't walk back in the house of God. She said, just come home. She literally bought me a plane ticket the next day and called me and said, there's a plane ticket waiting for you. It's at the counter. You need to come home. And that's where my life changed because I flew back to Ohio, but I still had another conversation with God. When I got off of that plane, I didn't feel any different. And I said, you know what, Lord, here's what I need from you. Plain and simple. If you can't produce for me, the God that Abraham talked to, the God that Moses talked to, the God that David talked to, then I might as well get on this plane, get back home and get to work. Or you produce that. And from here on out, it's on. And sure enough, that whole year of 2009, all the way to 2011, I didn't have to pay rent. I didn't have to pay bills. I stayed with somebody. They said, all I need you to do is just get filled with God. That's it. Make enough money. Go do your, your remodeling stuff, your handyman stuff. Just, just don't worry about any of that. Just get better. I literally took a whole year of just purification, me and God fasting, praying. Yeah. Okay. That's what that I just curious of what that entailed. So you've been on this roller coaster, like up and down and up and <laughs> down. You must like the ride in some way, or do you feel it was just almost you didn't know what else to do? Because when we backslide, it's like we don't have the right tools or something stops us to just step into that that final place, just to own it and and live it. How did you do it? 
So you said your prayer, your fasting. Who is this new God that you learned during this time? How was he the different whole, from who you believed he was before? Absolutely. The whole thing was, is I was still battling identity. Mm-hmm. I was still battling who I was. What's my call? I was trying to find my my footing. I was trying okay. to find that. And within that, matter of fact, my best friend's mom is my spiritual mom. And one one day I was talking to her and I said, you know, I, I, I'm just cursed because I just keep moving from place to place and moving this and that. And she said, you know, you got to stop saying that. She said, that's not a curse. That, that's a blessing. Because when you do find your wife, she's going to, you're going to be able to say, here's what we're doing. And she's going to follow suit. Here's where we're going. And she's going to follow suit. Because when God calls you, it's not just in one place because it had been prophesied over me a while, like within that purification, that my ministry was going to look different from anything else that anyone has had it ever saw. And I, did, I, 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 I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like church is a church, come to church, do ministry in church. And that's where God began to start shaping me into the place of it's besides the four walls. It's outside of the walls. I've called you from the streets only to go back to the streets. And so in that process is where in that year of purification, at the end of it, I'm in Ohio. My sister's in Texas and she just texts me out of the blue. Hey, there's an extra room here. If you ever need a place to stay, you can come home. I'm going through a divorce, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? I'm like, Lord, is this where I'm supposed to go? And I, again, I had a little conversation with God. I said, I've been in Texas. It's hot. I don't want to go to Texas. It's hot, (laughs) you know? And he said, no, you're going to Texas. And so I went to Texas in 2011. Three months later, I met my wife. Um, Three months after that, we got married. Um, And we hit the pavement running. And we recently moved from Texas to Colorado, um, strictly by faith. And so I think that whole, like now, I'm in a place where I'm like, I'm at peace because even in Texas, I was fine. I was like, okay, I've been here 10 years. I've never been anywhere more than three or four years. So for me, I'm like, okay, Texas is my home. COVID hit our son, my stepson, but he's my son was living in Colorado with his dad. He had graduated high school, been out here for like two or three years. COVID hits. My wife and I look at each other and we're like, what are we doing here? Like time for us to go. So we sold the house, picked up. She was laid off from her job. I was laid off from the bus uh, depot. By faith, we came and looked at this house and my wife got the job that now she's making great money. Um, And it just allowed me to step into this calling as far as coaching and helping people and and really going in to where now, now I'm building this, this network called Kingdom Link Network. And it's bringing the kingdom together online, locally, virtually, the whole nine. And uh, so the roller coaster was really me just trying to find my footing and really understanding who I was. And I can boldly say now, I know who I am. I know what my purpose is. I know what God has called me to do um, for the kingdom. So I think all in all, to wrap that whole answer up, (laughs) I went around a whole mountain, was uh, I needed truth. And that's where I'm at. I just want truth. 
So who are you now, Paul? I am a man, a pastor, a son, um, someone who loves God and knows that he's got his best interest, right, at heart for me, um, because it doesn't consist of what I do. It be, it's, it's all about who I am and being able to know solidly that I am a child of the Most High King, that I am blood-bought, I am purposed. And there's a statement that I learned years ago. If you are what you have and you lose it, then who are you? Mm-hmm. And so for me, for my life now, these things, they're great. But if my ministry, if my coaching identity of one coaching was stripped from me, would I still be Paul? Absolutely. So what kind of coaching are you doing? So my coaching is your next level mindset coach. And what I do is I specialize in helping individuals um, get to that next level and help build their confidence by reframing their mindset, going to the word of God, going back to the identity factor and realigning them with their purpose and their calling and really exposing what the assignment is so that they can navigate to that. So how do you do that? How do I do that? Number one, I go to the word, Um, whether they're Christian based or not, we go to the word and I show them here it is. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Let's create manage in our image and our likeness. And guess what? Let's give them dominion. So we've got the tools. Now we just have to figure out a plan that's going to work for you. So my job really is to keep them accountable. Okay. Draw that purpose out of them and show them, listen, you know, you're not what people have told you. So we go into the whole identity thing and just really reshaping that, that mindset, speaking life into them and establishing it through the word of God. So what happens after they've coached with Paul? They are on their next level. They're what I like to call just steadily climbing the ladder. What's different in their life? Um, identity is, is a lot more clear. They're more okay. clear on their, on their assignment okay. because so many times people are trying to figure out what the purpose is. Mm-hmm. And when, when we establish, you don't have to figure that out because you're on purpose. And then when they say why, cause you're here now, we just have to figure out what your assignment is in the purpose. And once you know your assignment, then it's like, Oh, I don't have to be this cup. I'm the straw. So if I'm the straw, I've just got one function. So you don't have to worry about the purpose no more because it's his purpose. Now let's figure out what the straw does. And that's what I do through my coaching. And then they're like, Hey, I'm a straw. <laughs> I'm good with being a straw. So it just, it relieves people of the pressure and the exhaustion of trying to figure out the other assignments that people keep telling them that they're called to be. This was an amazing story. How can we contact you? You sent me information. Absolutely. They can find me at lifecoachpaul.com or they okay. can email me at coachpaulibarra at gmail.com. So any last word? I would say this, that you were built for something better than where you're at now, period, because God created us. And the one thing that I would say is just figure out what your assignment is. And if, and if that's getting with a pastor, with Diane, with a coach, with a mentor, Whatever that is, just figure out what the assignment is. And once you figure out that assignment, it's going to free you 
of the responsibility of trying to figure out what your purpose is. That's all I got. Thank you. I thought you, you spoke that right to me. Some of you might love the Hallmark Channel. I love the Hope Station. I'll call it the Transformational Channel. How each week we share stories like Paul Yabara about God coming into our life and changing it, transforming it, making it something more than we ever believed possible. I hope that you were inspired by Paul's story, and I also hope that you learned from his story. What I learned is that it is more difficult to deal with the identity and abandonment problems that some people might face than with the addictions to drugs. When he said, drugs didn't make me feel any better, he was willing and courageous enough to dig in deep, to find people to help him walk through this path of finding his identity, of finding his assignment, and now he is helping others do the same. Isn't that a beautiful story? And that's what the Hope Station is all about. Refueling, refreshing, and realigning life with hope. Until next time, thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. Before you leave, I have another free gift for you. What are you looking for in your life? A new career? Stepping into your purpose? Restoring passion in your everyday life? Are you ready to step into the new life God has planned for you? And he does have a plan for you. And that gift is to experience the power of coaching. Coaching helped me through my painful journey when Joe, my husband, died. Coaching eased me through this transition to move to Florida. I wasn't sure why the Lord was bringing me here and what his plans were for me. Coaching gave me clarity. Coaching was essential in making the Hope Station podcast a reality. A dream came true working with my coaches. Coaching also brought hope to hundreds of my clients who stepped into their purpose and passion And it all started with a free consult call. So schedule yours today. To schedule our Hope Chat, otherwise known as a coaching call, you can click the calendar link in the show notes or visit my website, dianebells.com. That's D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. This coaching call could be exactly what you need to ignite a spark of hope in your life. Hope might be just one call away. Why wait? Schedule your call today.